We love being able to celebrate the art and just how God uses that and how God uses those moments to kind of touch us at a deep level. And it's just great having Jennifer Main here again. She's been part of our services many, many times. Well, welcome to the Crossing. So glad that you are here today. Today we are doing baptisms after each service. Maybe you saw the pool when you came in in the courtyard today. That I believe today may be a defining moment for many of you who came. That you're ready to respond to God's grace. And baptism is the next step for anyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus. And maybe you hear me say that and you think, man, I I wish I would have known I would have come prepared. Well, we prepared for you. We have shirts and towels and plastic bags for your leather seats. We have everything that you need. There is no better day than today to be baptized. I have been praying for you and praying for this day for weeks because I know some of you are going to be ready to make that move today. Well, like it or not, texting is a part of our culture. And texting is great because it is immediate It is short and to the point. It's personal. But the problem with texting is there is no emotions. And we've all had a conversation go horribly wrong over text because you read something, you're like, what? What did they just say to me? And they didn't mean that at all. But boy, the way you read into it because we try to read emotion into it. Well, somebody knew that, and a few years ago, 15 years ago, they had the idea of creating emojis. Now, emojis are symbols that help us express emotion in text. There's an emoji for happiness and sadness, for love and confusion. There's, a, there's an emoji for, you know, thumbs up and thumbs down, a fist bump, a broken heart. But maybe you didn't know that if you go online, you can actually turn your favorite Bible verses into emojis. So I thought I would see how emoji savvy you are today to see if you can figure these out. So I've got a few Bible verses for you. So here's this first one. Any guesses on that? For God so loved the world. Very, very good. Very good. Well, this one's a little bit easier for some of you. What's this one? Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Now, some of you are like, I don't get it. I don't see it. How about this one right here? God is a strong tower. Now, this last one is the most challenging, so let's pull that one up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's one of these things that we use to try to express emotions. We have these symbols that try to express emotions. Well, today, we're in the middle of our series that we've been calling Transformed, and we're talking about how God wants to transform every part of our life. The transformation happens when we surrender every part of our life to God. And we've been looking at being transformed in seven key areas. We've been talking about being transformed spiritually, being transformed physically. Last week was being transformed intellectually for us to transform our thinking. And today is emotionally. Now, here's the problem with this. Here's the problem is we learn at an early age about monitoring our behavior. That your parents taught you to do certain things and to not do certain things. That we learn about monitoring our behavior. But no one ever talks about monitoring our emotions. And usually because we don't know how to monitor our emotions, we will say stuff like this. We will just, we'll just say to somebody, you just need to get over it. I don't know what you're doing. You, do, you just need to get over it. Or we'll say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Because we don't know what to do with emotions. We don't know what to do with them. 
When the Bible, anytime the Bible talks about the heart, the heart is where all of your emotions come from. Look at what Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says, above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A wellspring is the source of a river or a spring. And Solomon says that your heart is the source of all of your emotions and all of your actions. Everything that you do flows from the condition of your heart. He says, guard your heart, which means to protect the source of your heart, to protect that, to pay attention to what's coming out of your heart, because that's where all of these emotions come from. And our emotions, we know this is true, our emotions deceive us. They are deceitful to us. Look what Jeremiah writes in chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That your heart will deceive you into doing things that will end up damaging your heart. That your heart, your emotions will deceive you into certain things because of the way that you feel that will take you down a road that can damage you. Now there's two primary things that damage our heart. It's sin and hurt. These are the two primary things. It's sin and it's hurt. It's the hurtful words that were said to you. Maybe it was your mom or dad. Maybe it was a spouse or a friend or a coworker. They said something to you, and it's been 10 years, but you can quote it word for word. You can say it word for word because those emotions are stuck in your heart, the damage of that. Maybe it was a betrayal. Somebody betrayed you, and it hurt you so much. The way that you have chosen to deal with that betrayal is that you never let anyone in close enough into your life so that you can never be hurt again. See, hurt damages our heart. But the second thing, it's sin. That sin damages our heart. It is, it's that pornographic image that you either sought out or you stumbled upon that is etched in your mind still today. It is that lie that you told to make yourself look better. It is that secret sin that seems to have a stranglehold on you. And as we talked about last week, secrets seep. Secrets seep into the relationships that matter most to us and they do damage. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus has an encounter with a woman, and he deals with both of these things. He deals with her sin, and he deals with her hurts. Well, this woman that he has an encounter with isn't just any woman. She is a Samaritan woman. And she is a Samaritan woman with a past. And she's been married not one time. Not two times, not three or four times. She has been married five times. Now, this would be unusual in our culture. This is extraordinarily unusual in that culture. And not only has she been married five times, she's living with a man that she's not married to. Here's a woman who has been abused by her culture. And Jesus doesn't just deal with her sin. Jesus deals with her emotions. We're going to start in verse 3, John chapter 4. It says, so he left Judea, talk about Jesus, so he left Judea and went back at one, once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem and he was going up to Galilee and it says that he had to go through Samaria. 
Now, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The Samaritans had intermarried, and they were considered half-breeds. They were considered this mixed race, and the Jews hated the Samaritans so much so that when they would make this journey from Jerusalem on up to Galilee, this is the direct route, but they would go around Samaria instead. They would add on to their journey so that they wouldn't have to even walk through Samaria. But it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Listen, we're a follower of Christ. We don't get to avoid the cultures that we don't like, that we go there. We don't get to walk around these cultures that that we don't like because God loves everybody. That people matter to God, so we engage every culture. In verse 5, it goes on, and it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the wall. It was about noon. This is an important little side note that it was noon, because you would go to the well in the morning. Everybody would go to the well in the morning, but the reason this woman is going to show up is because she can't go when everyone else is going because she's ostracized. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And now John is going to explain something in parentheses here. He says, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. John tells us that his disciples had gone in town to buy food because they would have stopped him from talking to her. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, you can't talk to this woman. I mean, not only is she a woman, she is a Samaritan woman, and she's out here at noon. Why are you talking to her? But they had gone, so Jesus could have this encounter. And she wouldn't have even made eye contact with Jesus. She would have had her eyes down at the ground. And Jesus breaks the silence. He engages her. And he says, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? Now, she would have been blown away that Jesus asked this question. But Jesus wasn't so much asking a question as Jesus was making a statement of how he viewed her. Jesus was saying to her, I view you as someone worthy to associate with. I view you as worthy as someone to talk to. I view you worthy as someone to drink after, to touch. That you matter. That you matter. Goes on in verse 9. Says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John is going to explain this to us. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus begins to engage her emotions. See, he knew that that there is a spiritual thirst because of the damage that has happened to her heart. And he says that this thirst that you have, that I can give you living water. I can give you something that will quench that thirst that you have. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock? She looks at Jesus. She says, you don't even have a cup. Where are you going to get this special water you're talking about? You don't even have anything to drink with. And, And this well was put here by a hero in the Bible. Are you saying that you're greater Then him, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That this water will be the overflow. It will be this wellspring that comes up. It will be something different that comes out of you. See, this water, Jesus says, will quench a thirst that you never knew that you had. This water will quench a thirst that goes beyond your physical thirst. This water will quench a thirst that you've been trying to quench your entire life. And we're not talking about your physical thirst. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about what God wants to do in your heart. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. She's intrigued. She knows that there is something different about Jesus and there's something that she needs. And then Jesus does what seems like the most insensitive thing. Now, if I did this, you would fire me. If a counselor did this, you would never go see them again. If a friend did this, you would end the friendship. She's beginning to trust him. She's beginning to open up to him. She's been hurt by men her entire life, and Jesus does the unthinkable. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Jesus exposes something that we didn't previously know. Jesus exposes the very thing in her life that has brought shame and guilt. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus just engages what is the deepest emotional hurt of her life. He says, yeah, the truth is, you've had five husbands. You've been married five times, and you're living with someone that you're not married to. Do you know why Jesus would do this? Because What Jesus does in this moment is what Jesus wants to do in your life and my life. Is Jesus wants to pull back all the layers that you've had protecting your heart and he wants to expose it and he wants to say, listen, if I can just have access to your heart, then everything will change. If you will give me access to your heart, I'll make you whole again. Life has left you thirsty. Life has left you emotionally damaged. And Jesus doesn't just address her sin. He addresses the deepest emotional issue of her life. And Jesus says to her, and I think Jesus would say to every one of us, go get that area of your life that you're most ashamed of. Go get that area of your life that has the the deepest emotional scars. Go get that secret thing, that hidden thing, that place that's full of shame and guilt, and you bring it back to Jesus. Whatever has caused you the deepest emotional pain, you bring it back to Jesus. And here is this woman who has been abused by six men, and she's met man number seven, and he's going to make her whole. What happens next is she just changes the subject. It's what we all do when somebody starts to mess with, you know, that part of our heart. She just talks about theology. It's like, can we just talk about theology for a minute? Let's stop talking about all my husbands and all that. Let's just talk about something else. And then skipping to verse 25. It says, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? They're like, Jesus, we're not even supposed to be in Samaria. Why are you talking to a woman? You know, I mean, we, we leave you here for a few minutes to go find food, and you're talking to this woman, but everybody's afraid to say something. You know, they're all punching Peter, like, Peter, you're not afraid to say stupid things. Just ask him, ask him. I'm not asking him. I'm not asking him. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, leaving her water jar, leaving the thing that represented her past, leaving the thing that represented her physical thirst, she leaves it behind. And she goes to the town. She says, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Come see, every, tell, come see a man who told me everything that I did. And maybe they were laughing and go, everybody knows what you've done. Everybody knows about your past. But what she's come to is that there's no more hiding. There's no more blaming. That if you are thirsty, Jesus says, I have water to satisfy your deepest thirst, your deepest hurts. Here's what we learn. Is that Jesus wants to heal you from the inside out. Jesus wants to heal us from the inside out. Jesus not only dealt with her sin, he deals with her emotions as well. That Jesus has the answer to your sin. And Jesus has the answer to whatever emotion that you brought in here today. See, there's two parts to healing our heart. Because our heart, the, the damage that, that happens to our heart happens because of sin and hurt. Well, there's two ways that we begin to heal that damage that's been done to our heart. Number one, for sin, it's confession. It's confession. Part of confession, it's acknowledging your sin. It's being completely honest with God. You remember when King David was confronted about his adultery and he confessed it to God? It's then that he wrote Psalm 51. And he writes this, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. The only way for you to have a clean heart is to finally confess your sin, you bring it to God. The Bible tells us in 1 John, it says that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, for sin, it's confession, but for hurt, it's naming the emotion. You have to name the emotion. You have to stop and you have to begin to assess what is going on inside of me. What is this? It's anger. It's fear. It's jealousy, it's insecurity, that you have to name it because emotions that stayed buried, they have power over you. Emotions that you just keep shoving down, they drive you. But when you begin to expose them, when you begin to identify them, they begin to lose their power over you. And when it's appropriate, you speak it out loud, you tell someone, you tell someone that you can trust, here's, here's what I'm feeling, I need help. I need some help with these emotions. Jesus says that the water that I have for you, you will never thirst again. God wants to heal your heart. That part that feels so raw and tender, God wants to transform it. He wants to transform that. 
Well, as I'm talking, for some of you, you're like, this is my story. I feel like you're talking just to me because this is what I deal with every single day. There's a scene in Acts chapter 2 in the Bible. It's where a large group of people heard the message about Jesus, heard the message about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which proves that he was God. And it says that they were cut to the heart. and They said, what do we need to do? What should we do with all of this? We want that living water that comes from Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter answers them, and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. You repent and be baptized, every one of you. That day, that moment, 3,000 people responded by repenting and being baptized in water. That moment that they put their faith in Jesus, they marked it by being obedient in baptism. Notice they didn't say, well, I'll be baptized someday when it's convenient. I'll be baptized when I get my life all together. I'll get baptized after I have a baptism class. No, it says the same day they put their faith in Jesus, they responded with baptism. And maybe you wonder, why should I be baptized? What's the big deal? Well, I could give you a bunch of reasons why to be baptized, but let me give you just one. I think it's the only one that really matters. It is because your leader and your forgiver asked you to be baptized. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus said that the first thing that we're to do after we became a follower of Jesus is to be baptized. Baptism is the step of identifying with Christ. It represents new life. It represents your old sins being washed away. I have the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. I do crazy weddings. I've done helicopter weddings. I've done weddings with Elvis. I've done them all everywhere. This is a crazy town to do weddings. But what brings every wedding together are the vows. Where you ask this couple to make some promises for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And the day that this couple will mark, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things in their relationship that's happened until this moment, but the day that they will celebrate is this day. It is this day where their identity changes from single to married. Baptism is the wedding ceremony for a believer. It is this this public display of our faith in Jesus. It's the moment that we say, I'm in till death do us part. I'm in. And our identity changes to being in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, why wouldn't you do the first thing that Jesus told you to do? So maybe the question is, well, when should I be baptized? When should I be baptized? I want you to look at the scripture in Acts chapter 8, and I want you to notice the progression. Look what it says. It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Noticed first he what? He believed. And then he what? was baptized. You believe and then you're baptized. That you put your faith in Jesus first. It's this outward expression then, a baptism that happens. This is why we don't baptize babies or young children. We dedicate them. Because our understanding is that baptism happens after you put your faith in Jesus. And you might be wondering, well, my parents had me baptized as a baby. Isn't that good enough? Well, for you that 
that your parents, oftentimes when parents do this, when they baptize their children, they do it as a sign of dedication that they're committing their children to the Lord. And now where you have the opportunity to do is you have the opportunity to build on what your parents have done. You have the opportunity to build on that foundation because baptism is a personal decision to accept Christ. And if you have elementary kids and you're trying to, trying to wonder, we have a baptism class for them. We want to help you determine when they're ready. Well, some of you have been putting off being baptized. And you say, well, I'll be baptized as soon as I get my life together. I've got this thing. I've got this issue. And as soon as I get this all taken care of, then I'll be baptized. Listen, if you could fix yourself, if you could wash yourself, then you wouldn't need Jesus to cleanse you. That's what baptism is for. The Bible says that when we repent and are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings this change in us. The last question is, how should I be baptized? Well, different churches do this different ways. You know, some churches do it by pouring. Some churches do it by sprinkling. At the crossing, we baptize by complete immersion under the water because this is the way that they did it in the Bible. That the Bible talks about baptism representing the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And through baptism, you begin to participate with all of that. That that we, we have our old sin, that we die to our old life, and then we rise out of the water to this brand new life. It is this public identification of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I want to challenge some of you to be baptized today. Today. And you say, well, I, I couldn't do it today. I haven't had a baptism class yet. Well, you just did. You're done with the baptism class. We just had it. You might go, well, I don't have a towel. Listen, we have hundreds of towels for you. I didn't bring a change of clothes. We're going to give you a T-shirt. We have shorts. We have everything you need. Well, what about my kids? You go get your kids, and you have them watch you do this moment that is you public identifying with Jesus Christ. What are people going to think? Well, the people out there are going to be cheering for you because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you. And some of you know this is your day. When the Apostle Paul came to Christ, Ananias said this to him. Ananias said this to the Apostle Paul. He says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So let me ask you that same question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. I, I just got back from Cambodia a couple weeks ago. We had a team of nine people from the crossing who went there to go do a retreat for this Cambodian staff. We spent a couple days in the main city in Cambodia, and then we started this trip. We drove eight hours across Cambodia to one of the most remote areas of the country. We were in the middle of the jungle. We were just a few miles away from the Vietnam border. And as we drove eight hours there, we, we pull up at this retreat center at night, and it's dark, and it is pouring down rain. It is rainy season there. This is not a Vegas rain. This is a jungle rain. It is just pouring down rain. We get out of our van, and we have our suitcases, and we're dragging our suitcases through the mud, trying to get to our little A-frame cabin. It's this A-frame cabin that's open air. It's on stilts so critters won't get in the cabin. And then we get inside of this open-air cabin, and it has this mosquito net because the mosquitoes have malaria at this part. And so we get there, and we get in bed, and the, 
The sheets are damp because it's just raining and the humidity. And I try to tuck this mosquito net in because I don't want to get malaria. I'm afraid of getting, you know, sick. And we try to go to sleep. Then about 4 a.m., the Muslim prayers start blaring through the canyon. And they start blaring through the canyon for the next hour. I wake up and I look over at Darla and I'm like, where are we and what have we done? (laughs) Well, after an hour of the Muslim prayers, the Buddhist chants start and those go on for an hour. So for the next two hours, we just lay there listening to all of this and they get done about 6.15 or 6.30. We decide to go ahead and get up and we go to breakfast. And then after breakfast, we sit down with these young Cambodian missionaries. It's going to be our first time together. We're in this little retreat center, and it's open air, and it's beautiful. But I can still feel just the darkness of the night on me. I can still just feel just the darkness of the night of of all of these Muslim prayers and these Buddhist chants. And these young people begin to sing a song in Khmer. This is the Cambodian language. And I don't understand Khmer, but I understood the song because we have sung it before. They just begin to sing these words, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other, that our God is healer, awesome in power, that's our God, that's our God. And it hit me, that our God is greater, that our God is greater, that our God is greater than anything that you're going through today. That our God is greater than that sin that you brought in here and you thought it was too bad for it to ever be forgiven. That our God is greater than the deepest emotional pain that you have in your life. That our God is healer. That our God is a forgiver. And he will quench the thirst where you will never be thirsty again. So what are you waiting for? Today's your day. I want to pray, and I want to give you the opportunity, some of you, to take your first step in that relationship with Jesus. Just pray this. Just pray this after me, just quietly between you and God. This is a decision between the two of you. Say, God, today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm asking you to be the forgiver of my sins and the healer of my heart. God, today, we come to you and we thank you that you are greater than anything that we're going through, anything that we're dealing with. God, we thank you for what you've done in the hearts of so many people to bring healing in this room and that you're doing it again today. So God, we acknowledge you are greater and we surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a pool out there. It's waiting for you. We're ready for you. Our team is ready for you. We've had 17 peop- uh, 19 people who have already been baptized today already. They led the way. And we're ready. So thanks for being here. God bless. Have a great week.